0: You're listening to the one of us.net podcast network It's time. Another stack of Blu-rays and DVDs with this week's digital noise. Joining me is the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron.
1: You know, I have to say, I'm beginning to think, Chris, that you're really sweet on me because, like, the last three sets of movies you've given me have been just like, yeah, maybe there's a you want in the bunch, but overall, they're all solid hits. And I know the fact that I vocalized this means. I'm just going to get screwed relentlessly next time. And every single one is going to be the worst
0: movie I've ever seen. I don't think but... it means that. <laughs> I think what it means overall is that you just generally are a little softer touch on movies than a lot of people are. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. Um I, In fact, I, I but I do agree with you, you have gotten lucky several weeks in a row. And this week, although I don't think that every title we have is a hit it out of the park classic or anything by yeah. any stretch of the imagination everything we have is at least interesting was at least like okay that was not a, a a pain in the ass to watch and there's a few in here that really are absolute magnificent classics yeah but not to start with the absolute magnificent classics but to go into one that is one of the more well that was interesting f- films and that is the uh, samurai paper cutout animated film path of blood um this is the special edition because apparently it's been released in other forms like online as well this one actually came with a solid amount like if you dig this there's a lot of bonus features on here to make it worth your while paying for i have to admit i watched through quite a few of them just because i
1: was interested the thing that surprised me the most was that the guy who made this is in no way japanese no he's just a just some random white guy from America who who's just, just really a, wanted to get into this. Uh, who wanted a, to do it authentically. Yeah, who's a massive
0: fan of, like, the old samurai films and – and uh, uh, the, what's his name? Akira um, like, Kurosawa wow. and stuff like that. Although this is sort of – Kurosawa crossed with, like – Tarantino. It felt like, uh, and he references this a lot in the special features, Lone Wolf and Cub, yes. Zatoichi, Very
1: specifically the 80s Zatoichi where they get really bloody.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, because this is definitely more along the lines of like those samurai films that were coming out in the early 80s where it was like someone's arm would cut off and blood would just spray yeah. everywhere. But basically everything that
1: Quentin Tarantino was inspired by for Kill Bill yeah. Volume 1.
0: Yeah. So not so much influenced by Tarantino as influenced by the things that influenced Tarantino. Yeah. And uh, although the, it looks like... Saturday South Park, it's a little disconcerting at first because it really does. It's all paper cutouts. And this guy did this whole movie himself pretty much. <laughs> it's uh, interesting. That is ended up being
1: what I loved most about it and also what ended up being the biggest barrier for me. Because, And I feel like it's not racist in this context to say this, but I couldn't tell anyone apart because of the art style. And well, because I was like, they were all paper cutouts. Yeah. And nobody and so, was
0: terribly distinctively different looking. And there were a lot issue. of points in the movie where I was like... I mean, people just died, and it's really badass looking, but I don't actually know who they were. Yeah, I mean, like, storyline-wise, it's definitely more along the lines of the 50s, 70s, but it could have used a little more of that post-80s where people's outfits were wackier. Yeah, Just to exactly. tell, uh, like, have an easier time telling yeah. the difference between characters. But essentially, we're following a Ronin because uh, the ruling clan has sort of done away with almost all the samurai. And uh, so he's wandering and he ends up – I'm not entirely clear what was going on at first, but he ends up sort of wandering this path of blood, which is sort of a series of trials through the woods that he has to go through fighting various monsters and people in order to get to the end. Yeah. And um it's – I mean, there are aspects of it that you could call video game-ish. Well,
1: it, did you see the video game There's, trailer yeah, on the special features? Which was
0: actually the way he – uh he put together a video game trailer of this plot of this movie as if it was a video game – in order to try and get uh funding for it to finish yeah. the film, which is kind of a funny way of doing it. But um, you know, there's a it's really relentlessly clever in the way it's shot. Like, this is a guy who you're like, okay, you're just doing this with animation, and yet you have a really good eye for the camera of knowing where to, where shots would be placed and the types of things to shoot, and a lot of creativity of what he's doing with these paper cutouts, um, as well as, and I know this is going to throw some people off and other people it's going to make Deliriously Happy, an all-actual Japanese cast speaking Japanese. Well, do, um, do you hear about
1: how he did that? He, yeah. like, a friend of his has a Japanese, uh, either a Japanese wife or a wife who knows Japanese and he wrote the script in English, went to her, had her translate it into the Japanese, and because anytime you translate something into a new language, it changes the meanings, she then retranslated it back into English so that they could do the
0: subtitling, which blows me away. Which is crazy, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and it comes off as after you get past the this looks like South Park and you keep waiting for goofy stuff to happen. There's a point where you kind of gel with the film and you really just feel like you're watching a old samurai movie yep. and it becomes really enjoyable. I, I ended up having a really good time with this and like I said, it is pretty for paper cutouts. It's pretty damn graphic. Um, like
1: so, I have a couple of friends who are animation uh, graduates went to school for it. I'm recommending this to them. What my ultimate takeaway of this was I want someone to give this guy a budget because it would be really interesting if he were able to put a little bit more money into it so that the animation was a little bit smoother and use the same tech and maybe even had someone who was able to punch up the story. So it was just a little bit – there was a little bit more to it. And this would have been like a really great animated film.
0: I agree. Out. No, no, I agree. This is not quite all the way there. No,
1: it's – this strikes me as something that in another decade, we'll be looking back and going
0: like, oh, hey, this was one of that guy's or this whole movies. movie will be a bonus feature yeah. on someone, on, a, on a much later film by the same guy who exactly. clearly has real talent, And which is not... I don't want to totally dismiss this at all, because you shouldn't. It actually is a lot of fun, and I think anybody who's really into these old samurai films is going to get a huge kick out of this, going to enjoy the shit out of it, because it is a loving tribute well, to those movies. And the good thing is, quite frankly, it's, it's about an hour long,
1: so it it's really not that big of a time commitment.
0: Yeah. And if you're not done it comes with like we said the making of Vitourette. It's about 11 minutes long it's very uh, very funny very self depreciating um very uh personal like he's like you know you meet him and his family who are just like Phew whatever. Oh, and my
1: favorite thing is that he animated this on a, a rig that he made using his table and Lego blocks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the original short film that he made first that gave him the inspiration to make this, which is, is you know, a little cruder, even a little bloodier, but it's only four and a half minutes on. Yeah. There's uh, the original trailer for this. There's that video game trailer we're talking about in a uh, image gallery, uh, which is pretty neat. So this, uh, like I said, even if you have seen this somewhere else, this package as well, Worth picking up. Yeah, I and think. the extras are totally worth it. All right, let's move on to one. Okay, I will say I usually don't review the direct to DVD Lego superhero movies because there there's a lot of them. I think the last time I did was one of the first ones uh, for Batman, and I was like, eh, this isn't very good. It's kind of dull. Um, and this is one of these ones, Lego DC Super Comic Superheroes: The Flash, that they just sent me, despite me asking. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll watch it. And surprisingly, I actually thought it was kind of cute and fun. Um, you, like, so one was this Flashpoint again?
1: Because I'm pretty no. sure this was this felt close enough to Flashpoint that I was like, "Oh, I'm watching Flashpoint again." No, but, no, 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 no. Like, it's more it's more Groundhog's Day than so it is Flashpoint. I, I ended up getting into it, but like around the time that he he lost his powers and the Reverse Flash becomes more of a prominent figure in the the movie, I started getting more into the. To the actual story of the film, but for the first like twenty minutes, it just grated on me because stuff just happens and then it happens and then it happens. Well, and yeah, I mean it that's moves the, so
0: fast. These is the Lego movies, and, and I don't even mean the theatrical films. I mean the home release specifically, where it's just kind of absurd and, and colorful. To be absurd and colorful, yeah, it's I, kind I, of the the, the the order of the day for these things because they are really pointed at little kids.
1: Well, it, I, I just. I kept, and this is granted, when I watched this, I watched this as a parent of a two-year-old going, Mm -hmm. like, is this going to be something I want to watch with my son? In the beginning, no. I just wanted them to take a break so much. But once they got into the actual Flash's storyline and got more into him trying to regain his powers and his reverse Flash started taking his place, I did start to get into it and was actually really involved in the story towards
0: the end, but man, yeah. man, that first 20 minutes was really but, rough. You know, he's me. not even in the first 20 minutes. Like, you're like, isn't this called The Flash? Yeah. And it's all about the Justice League versus the Joker, which is weird, because the Joker doesn't generally take on the Justice League. He may be insane, but yeah. he's not
1: stupid. The, the <laughs> Justice League versus the Joker in Metropolis, yeah. where his evil plan, and this is pure Lego superhero, is to turn the DC, uh, the, uh, the Daily Planet mm-hmm. into a clown.
0: Yeah, into a giant clown yeah. Joker plus structure and, and various other things with his clowning guns. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, which is very, once again, this is a Lego movie. You can't hold this to any canon rules. But strangely, this is sort of treating it like a, you know, second chapter in The Flash's story where you're like, oh, this is about when he stops acting like such an idiot and starts learning self-control and thinking about things before he acts and things like that as he's... Finds himself without powers due to the Reverse Flash tricking him, taking over his his uh, his role as the Flash in the city, and and basically trying to prove he could be a better superhero than the Flash. And they will say and, that, and then having to like go into the Speed Force, which means passing trials that all relate back to something one of the other Justice League members told him earlier that he just wasn't listening. Which
1: to. I. I, I I like the speed force trials and I I have to say that somehow this movie has more cameos in it than the actual like Batman Lego movie that came out in theaters. Right. Every 10 seconds, there is a new superhero who shows up for the next 15 seconds and then it just, they move on and it's the next cameo. Yeah. It's true. Even like Dr. Fate was in this. That's
0: the one that I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Really? (laughs) Well, yeah, it ends up being, he's kind of like the, the being that, that role of the magician who has to show him. Okay. Okay, dumbass. Here's what you have to do. Was it me or did Dr. Fate have like a funk voice? He totally (laughs) did. But I was very happy about that personally. I thought Dr. Fate sounded kind of awesome. (laughs) I'm actually trying to... Oh, it was Kevin Michael Richardson. There you go. Who, of course, is like one of those actors who's played about a billion different uh, roles, including Joker on the Batman. And he's been nominated for two Emmys. There you go. Yeah. I'm trying to feel like... Didn't he play the... Wasn't he one of the actors who played was in the Predator suit? I don't know. I
1: I don't know. Anymore. I
0: know he's also done some li- a decent amount of live action stuff, but yeah, I'm I mean, like on there. honestly, I would recommend this. This is
1: really going to be targeted at your younger kids. Uh, it's not really for anyone older, just because it is so light and fluffy. I mean, hell, the Flash's storyline for the first third of the movie is quite literally what to have for breakfast. Yeah, but once you get past that, I've had that issue, though,
0: (laughs) where you're like, is it donuts, milkshakes? I don't know. Why not just eat donuts and milkshakes? (laughs) Thank you. I'll get back. We're going to press pause while I go get some donuts and milkshakes. (laughs) Uh, Ah, that was good. Okay. Now I'm full and feeling nauseous. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I think that I think it's a little better to me than you're saying. I mean, I do think little kids will like this, but I also think people who go into this with a sort of, like, this is going to be a really cutesy, dumbed-down superhero thing. I think there was more than enough jokes here that actually worked for me that I thought were pretty funny. There's a whole bit where Batman gets caught up in the Joker thing, and he's wearing, like, a Joker clown okay, like, I didn't like that. Bit, bit over his uh, Batman suit that I thought was pretty goddamn funny. There's a lot of bits here and there. I mean, no, this isn't, like, I mean, nobody's going to compare this to the Lego movie in terms of quality by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought there was more than enough here to even keep adult superhero DC fans uh, entertained for the hour and and some change that yeah. it goes on for. No, I'll give you that. It, it, this is possible for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about arguably less passable depending on who you talk to. Obviously there's still some amount of debate out there about whether or not all Marvel fans are just paying critics to, uh, give bad reviews to the clearly brilliant and genius level justice league film. But (laughs) outside of that discussion, I think the, the bigger consensus is, wow, justice league was not a very good movie. Okay. So I'm going to add a caveat in here. Uh, I,
1: I actually really enjoyed, for the most part, Man of Steel, even though I think it's very flawed. Uh, and just about everything else I've seen, except for Wonder Woman in the DC Universe, has been pretty monumentally bad with a couple of good parts. Yeah. I think Justice League, to me, is a fun, pretty mess. Like, oh my god, is it flawed. And oh dear lord, can you see the The fighting going on behind the scenes
0: about what kind of movie to make is just all over the screen. All right. So I'm going to steal this from, I'm going to credit it, Michael Rubin, who writes for Blu ray.com, did a written review of Justice League Review. And I thought this was so funny and so true that I feel like if this was an old Leog episode, um, uh, Joe Parsons would have described this before he even saw the movie in exactly the same way, and he would have been totally right. He says, a friend of his saw the trailers, decided not to see it, and he said, why? He's like, well... Because here's what's going to happen. Some incident will bring all of the members together. They'll be apprehensive about working with one another. Some of them will dislike one another. They'll have a big baddie that they'll initially fall against. They'll be discouraged. They'll learn how to fight as a team. They'll win, and everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah. And that kind of, like, is one of those, like, you know that that is just a recipe card sitting in, like, Hollywood in general. But the fact that this is all they had to fall back on. I mean, a lot of even good movies – Have used a very similar recipe here, but here it's just it just feels like it's so uh, see through. You can totally see that mechanism behind it the entire time. Where everything else, everything that does work in here, is because of the strength of the actors involved. Actually, that's where I was going to get to. Uh,
1: Ultimately, what Justice League has done is it has cleansed my palate of sorts of. Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad Mm -hmm. and put me in a place where, like, this is not a good movie. It's watchable and it's fun. I did. I enjoyed it. My wife, I showed it to her. She enjoyed it. It definitely has fun parts to it. What it's really done for me is I am now legitimately excited to see... The Flash movie, mm-hmm. or the Aquaman film, or, or or this the Cyborg movie. Okay, I, I, you
0: clearly like this more than me. Then well, no, <laughs> I, I
1: don't like the movie. I like the characters and the actors. So, like, I would like to see them in movies that were <laughs> not a clusterfuck, terrible idea from day one. You're
0: saying this is the characters are still salvageable yeah. in the future of films because even with the stre- them in this movie, which is very by the numbers in many ways, super predictable in almost every way it could possibly be. But the characters get enough fun moments and enough fun things to do that you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. Joss Whedon stepped in and started working on this, but still couldn't completely save it. And the world, like
1: I'm actually intrigued for Aquaman just because even though, even though it's Jesus, he does almost nothing in this movie. I thought, and I'm going to say Aqua World. Atlantis, duh. I thought, (laughs) where was Kevin Costner? It's been a long week. I understand. (laughs) Um, uh, Atlantis, it was intriguing to me. And and I would like to see more of that world. And I really liked Ezra Miller as The Flash. And
0: both of those characters, on the second viewing, I was less thrilled with. Really? I was like, Ezra Miller I find even more annoying and such a blatant attempt to appeal to on the auti- autism autism spectrum fans which i don't mind except it's just so on the nose so you know but what gets to me
1: is, is wonder woman in this i don't like wonder woman in this because she it really reinforces the idea that she had a boyfriend for 2 weeks in the 20s and then was hung up on him for 90 years for <laughs> 90 years yeah <laughs> you know, like like, I'm sorry.
0: She really just needs to get over him. I, you do kind of feel that way. Like, it's been... It's not like we're being insensitive. It's no, been 90 it's, years. No, it's almost a century. <laughs> His
1: kids, if he had them, are likely dead at this point. You can you can move on now.
0: And, you know, when you get into that whole, like, well, then why did you just... Well, I don't... So is that why you pulled out and haven't helped anyone for almost a century? Thank and, you. And yet... If you had gone, well, fuck it, I'm going back to the island, I'd be like, okay, sure, you weren't even around to see shit going down. But you weren't. You were, like, in Metropolis the whole time. What the fuck? Like, (sighs) the
1: absolute worst decision in the entire film, which that's saying something, to make Steppenwolf a 100% CG creation. I think that was a terrible idea. Who absolutely in no way, shape, or form deserves that or needs that. They could have had a regular-sized actor doing that, being super strong, just like them, and it would have made the movie better. And and this is, of course, just glossing over completely. We don't even need to discuss how terrible the idea of the Henry Cavill uh, mustache replacement
0: was. That was a terrible idea. Let alone to have it be the first shot in the entire film. Yeah, that one shot is just so clearly fucking yeah. wrong. Like, You're like, what's wrong with this face? I, I guess th- that's the thing. Like, I, I love can't... you see that thing where some fans <laughs> did it, who were like, oh, they actually went and they they, they fixed they it and said real? it l- literally took us 20 seconds like, to make this w- look fine. In other words, whoever they've got working on that in DC didn't give a fuck. So like, <laughs> it, it, I guess, and this is kind of
1: my final thoughts, as it were, in this movie. Like, It's not good. It, it is indeed bad, but like Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad were incompetent in a way that a college student could have made that made those better. There were decisions, both shooting wise, editing the story, that are inexcusably bad. This this is something that I can watch and enjoy with a beer. At,
0: the, this yeah, is, like, like you can tell that they try. I give this a, a, one of those that I could see putting it on in the background, yeah. but I don't see ever sitting down and going, I'm going to sit and watch Agreed. Justice League. Agreed. It's just not at that level. I mean, it's a you know.
1: This feels like the kind of superhero movie with a bigger budget that we would have gotten before Marvel changed the face of
0: superhero. Yeah, exactly. Before all the rules changed. Before yeah. the, the, the bar was set so significantly higher, which they keep raising themselves on a yeah, regular basis. Do. So, it's, this is like, yeah, this is like the, the pre-Iron Man style superhero movie. I,
1: I'm not paid in any way to do this. Marvel is doing a better job than DC in every way, shape, and form.
0: Well, I mean, not with the animation maybe okay fair enough i'm saying correct it (laughs) yeah i mean generally speaking dc's animation department's down and like for a while i would have said their live action was better too but in the last year or two marvel's put out legion the gifted runaways agents of shield suddenly got super great after two mediocre seasons i'm like okay actually marvel's got you guys beat on that now marvel has better live action tv they didn't used to, but no. now they do. Uh, well, with the exception of the Inhumans, of course, but we, what, we shall not talk of the um, Inhumans. I, I will say this, and I know that it will never
1: happen because it just doesn't make fiscal sense. I actually am really intrigued to see what the Snyder cut would have been. Like, just, I'm curious. Re- uh, reportedly, there is no yeah. Snyder
0: cut. It, it, it doesn't it,
1: exist. There's no way it ever could be because yeah. of how much they reshot and when he left the film. Yeah. And, and I also think this, I really like that for the first time ever, as much as I will defend Man of Steel, because I really like the Kryptonian plot, that drama, I really like that Superman- made quips and smiled and was happy. And Mm -hmm. like, uh, I like where they ended everyone here. Like, so
0: I I just revert back to, I'm excited for what's coming next in DC. As long as they don't fuck it up more. When you said palate cleanser, I don't think it is for, Oh my God, these films are good now because this is still not really good. um, But it does Clear a lot of shit out of the way that had already been established by Snyder and company in order to make things, as they go forward, have a little bit more hope for being better.
1: Like, it's put them in the place where they have a chance to work instead of, like, up until now, it's just been, you know, guys, from second one, this was a terrible idea, and you were going about it the wrong way, and you're just not stopping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, There are some bonus features on here, which are largely BKs. Even the deleted scenes that are here are mainly about uh, a slightly, slightly altered version of Superman (laughs) reemerging, being reborn. Spoiler. Sorry, I'm laughing because the
1: the first one, The Return of Superman, Mm -hmm. I actually put that on because I was really intrigued. Yeah. And was so disappointed that it's 30 seconds of deleted scenes. I can't. Fathom why in a movie with so much that happened behind the scenes, there isn't more on the production because no matter what you think of the movie, the story of the production of this film is got to be really interesting and fascinating. When
0: well, you do have uh, a featurette that's about 12 minutes long called Heart of Justice that feature, focuses on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman specifically, who are definitely the primary characters in the film. Uh, there is eight minutes on the technology of it getting into the production designer and set decorator. Uh, there's 12 and a half minutes uh, hosted by Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, which talks about all the, the uh, characters that aren't Batman, Superman, and Wonder <laughs> Woman. Um, there's uh, three minutes with Siren Hines, who voice, voices Steppenwolf in here. There's a, a scene study, taking a much closer look at the making of four scenes in the film. There's 10 minutes with a costume designer. Um, there is a ad for Justice League VR, the complete experience, which admittedly I was like, what is that now? Nice. Um, yeah. And then there is the one thing on here that I would say would have been, generally speaking, as a featurette I wanted, which is uh, Road to Justice, a 50-year history of the Justice League in multiple media, which is much more interesting to me than the movie in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I just, you know, is it the best of these DC films so far? I think it is. That is an incredibly low bar. And um, as it is, it's at best. Sure, watch it. I I wouldn't get enthusiastic about it, but give it a shot. You might not despise it. Man of Steel is still my favorite DC film. Man of Steel's biggest problem is it starts so strong and it ends so bad. Like the last act of that movie gets, I mean, it was kind of smart before that. With the exception of a few things Pa Kent says. And then it gets so fucking dumb. It's okay. just like the stuff the movie does is like, what are you doing? I think most of my
1: love of that is just, I love the idea. And so I have no history with Superman beyond the animated series and like watching vague memories of the original Superman film in my mind from my kid. But I really like the idea of the Kryptonians in that film, the way they are, both the militaristic, genetically pure society. I liked that angle, and I liked that aspect of the story. So that interests me enough to be inter- to be into that whole movie, even though, good God, is it flawed.
0: Fair enough. Uh, so we're moving on to Fear the Walking Dead, season three. You didn't get to see this. So I won't spend but so much time on it. I had dropped off of this show because... I just wasn't crazy about it. I watched all the first two seasons. I was like, you know, all the things that people say they hate about The Walking Dead that I don't actually agree with. I agree with them with those things as applied to this show. It is dumb, and characters do do things human beings would never do, not even in a try-to-think-about-it-put-yourself-in-this-situation. Nope, still can't picture anyone would ever do that. And that happens so constantly on this show. It also, with this third season, which I would call as more akin to the second season of the original Walking Dead, spends way too much time cooling its heels as everybody, the family, now reunited, uh, end up sort of on a, a ranch... That's being run by a former survivalist, like older guy who uh, might be a little bit of a racist, might be a little bit of a shit heel, but he comes across (laughs) as kindly as sweet. And meanwhile, you have a – like there's one set that that's going on and on the other set, there's a uh, dam that has been taken over by this sort of like – not cartel, but might as well be cartel type guy who's basically defending it against the other cartels, but – being a real fascist, tyrant, murderous son of a bitch about it. And various characters, some of which we thought were dead uh, and actually are not and came back, uh, are appearing involving themselves in that story. Uh, and both of these are on either side of the Mexico-United States border. Uh, so there's a lot of crossing back and forth over the border So here.
1: You literally mean cartels.
0: Yeah. Oh, like okay. surviving cartels, because okay. you would imagine if anybody was going to probably yeah it would be do a little cartels. better. Like with the zombie apocalypse, the cartels are kind of prepped. Fair enough, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know if that goes down, you know call up with your local sicario. <laughs> I just I have this image of like
1: all these holdouts and like. The border of Mexico and America, and these guys are in these walled off mansions with hundreds of guards with machine guns, and no zombies get in, and they're just doing all the fucking coke in the world.
0: <laughs> well, the, one of the best things here is actually Ruben Blades, who returns here after I believe the first season he wasn't in, um, uh, who is Daniel Salazar, Ophelia's dad, who is one of those guys who was like. A, a militaristic son of a bitch who tortured and killed people much earlier in his life. And has tried to live a family, regular family life, be a good man. But when the zombie apocalypse happens, he kind of falls back on his, like, it's all about me and mine survive and fuck everybody else. And here he kind of, there's a really good episode called 100 that goes, well, what the, how the hell did he survive? That just is the whole episode is him and what happened to him and how we get him to the point where he comes to the dam. And uh, that's really great. But ultimately, he does exactly what you'd expect him to do. He's like, I want to be a better man. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of shuffling around of pieces. And yes, they do finally kill one of the primary cast members this season. One of the people who's been there as one of the the, the top five people the whole time. They finally die and leave the show. And I'm sure they, were, they were, had been talking to their agent for some time about <laughs> trying to make that happen. But I don't think that in and of itself makes it any weaker. It's just, like I said, some of the stupid shit that people do, like, especially uh, Kim Dickens, who I think is great in the show, as Madison has definitely become sort of the Andrew Lincoln of the show. Uh, she still has some ways that she behaves that I'm like, what is happening here? Who wrote this? And I feel like they were listening too much to those absolutely heartless, like – fucking sociopaths out there who complain about The Walking Dead in terms of like, well, I would never go back to save someone. Those type (laughs) of people. (laughs) I.e. the people who you don't partner with when the zombies come. Mm. Let them all die. There's barely any bonus features here. There's a few track commentaries, uh, and that's really about it. And some deleted scenes. There's not usually a lot on here, but I just... I can't say the show's getting any better. Uh, the only reason I'm sticking with it is because a friend of mine is, is cast as a, uh, a regular cast member next season, and I was like, fuck, okay, Wh- fine, I'll watch Which means this. now
1: you're required to watch this as long as they're in a... <sighs>
0: I'm not that close friends with them. (laughs) All right. So another one you didn't get to see, and I'm really only talking about briefly, just to note again, this is out on Blu-ray, the sublime small town crime by Esham Nelms and Ian Nelms, two brothers. If you look, we just recently did an interview with them, Bo and I on the site, really funny, really sweet guys. Uh, This sort of, uh, comedy film noir, if you will, sort of s- like modern southern gothic comedy film noir uh, with John Hawks as a very alcoholic uh, ex-cop who, when he discovers the body of a dead woman on the side of the road, he gets that spark in him again. He's like, no, she will not go unavenged and ends up basically getting him and a lot of people he knows in a lot of trouble because he refuses to let this one go and it turns out it goes a little higher up the ladder than he would have originally figured starring anthony anderson and octavia spencer as his well anthony anderson as his uh his adoptive brother whereas he was adopted into their family octavia spencer as his wife uh, michael vartan is a former partner of his who's kind of like tired of his shit but like is a little more tolerant of him than a lot of the cops are, because basically, because of his drunkenness, he got his former full-time partner shot and killed. Oh. Yeah. Um, Katie Lotz playing the hooker with the heart of gold, if you will. (laughs) Robert Forster playing the father of the murdered girl. uh, And really, most notably, Clifton Collins Jr. playing basically Huggy Bear, um, like the the crazy, fucking, totally elaborate, styled-out pimp hustler who... um, ...ends up teaming up with our hero... This is so much fun. I deeply recommend you spend some you, you check this one out. <coughs> it is currently available on Blu-ray. Um like I said check out our interview. Check out we formally actually did a full review of this on Highly Suspect Reviews so you can put that into the search engine and it will pop right up. The Blu-ray comes with three different commentary tracks. That's a lot. Um a 8-minute crime and character look which takes a look at some interviews with the casting crew, uh 7 minutes on uh talking to the directors about their process for coming up with how the, the story, uh, th- three and a half minutes of deleted scenes, seven minutes of extended scenes, really a package that is well worth your time. And let's move on to one you did see, and that is the 1979 th- uh, film adaptation of the 1968 Broadway musical Hair, an American tribal love rock musical here just called Hair, thankfully. Um, and it's cr- the craziest thing about this is how fucking different it is from the actual musical. There is like something like nine songs from the musical that were deleted from the movie, Really, <laughs> which is unheard of. Like taking out that many songs is like, at least let me see here. Yeah. It doesn't have the bed dead end. Oh, great God of power. I believe in love going down air. My conviction, Abby, baby Frank Mills. And what a piece of work is man. Uh, even though five of them, they did uh, film, and they just cut him because he said it made the film too slow. you know my favorite thing about watching this movie, aside from the fact that
1: for ages, I used to get this in hairspray confused <laughs> very different um, films, very different films, is that when I posted about this on Facebook, <laughs> my mom came on and was commenting on it, and basically was like, yeah, those hippies were your dad and I <laughs> which changes the way I view them quite a bit, yeah, those so are, your
0: mom and dad are older then, huh? uh yeah, yeah, they're in their sixties, okay. Um, I, I was a late child with this adaptation, which was very controversial. Like a lot of people, including the original creators of the, the Broadway musical did not care for it, but it actually was nominated for a bunch of awards and made a shit ton of money in the theater. This, this movie version. So very depends on who you listen to it was directed by Milos Foreman, who's gone, done such f- fucking inarguable masterpieces. At least I would say so as Amadeus or uh, one flew over the cuckoo's <clears throat> nest. Um, and, uh, I, generally speaking, have been dreading watching this for a while because when I was younger, my feelings about hippies were all warm and fuzzy. Okay. as I've gotten older, they're less warm and fuzzy. I'm more like, not that I'm more conservative, I'm just more like... You know, you say you have this whole big movement, but 90% of you chickened out and went and got business jobs and ended up fucking over the exact same sort of things you were supposedly fighting for. But let's face it, you were just in it for the drugs and free sex. It's funny, (laughs) uh,
1: my wife, while we started watching this, she commented, like, during the opening song, which I I have to aside, the music in this is fucking phenomenal. It's really Um, good. But she commented that, like, the hippie movement is one of those few social movements that really still exists. Like I have friends that, and to the point you just made until they had kids and got jobs, (laughs) business degrees were these people. And that was in the last 10 years. We're still these people and still are a couple of them. Uh, And ultimately my biggest problem with this movie is the hippies because I, I really enjoyed it. I was with it until the last 20 minutes of the movie where there is a series of bad decisions that are so stupid and un... I can't even describe how dumb they are. Yeah. That it completely killed the rest of the movie. Until then, I was like, you know what? This is honestly probably going to end up in my regular rotation. And the last 20 minutes of the movie, I was screaming at the screen like, no, are you kidding me? Yeah. Let me list the problems with what you're doing right now.
0: And it's a very odd decision because arguably this was the whole point of this thing was to be a statement against sending people to Vietnam War. And the way they do it is sort of ham-handed and wah-wah, yeah. like with actually dealing with it. I mean, the plot as such, John Savage plays a cowboy who's come to, I guess it's New York City? Um, it's New York City. And yeah. uh, in the days, the few days before he has to leave to, because he's been drafted, and he meets up with a whole bunch of hippies led basically by Treat Williams, who everyone thought apparently was going to go on to be a big movie star after this, and he did not. He became a big TV star. He, he, he <laughs> Deep Rising, which I really enjoyed. But it, it never really took that's off. That's about it. <laughs> it never really took off for yeah. him. But uh, so he's got a whole group of hippies that follow him around, and they kind of say, well, come with us. We'll show you a good time before you have to leave. And he starts you know, thinking about, well, maybe I don't have to leave. And all these guys burn their draft cards and all that, which is, by the way, not something I'm against if the war is completely unjust. But I would never, as a personal level, I wouldn't do that unless I was really certain that the cause was something I was not one I could 100% support. And I think in retrospect, most of us can agree Vietnam was not a a, a good call on the American part. Um, But they also meet up with Beverly D'Angelo, who's a rich girl who's kind of like, oh, fuck it, it's fun hanging out with hippies in a weirdly sort of not completely of the times dynamic. of Let's just harass her till she gives in and hangs out with us. That's the thing.
1: Almost every character in this movie is ultimately, hippiness aside, just a terrible human being. Yeah. Who just harass people for no reason and get away with it because woo hippies. Yeah. Yeah. And like there was a part part within the movie where she goes skinny dipping and they steal her clothes and she has to get a cab ride back to her home naked. And then I'm pretty sure the next time you see her, she's just kind of cool with it. Yeah, I, I was just like, wait, do
0: you not care of the fact that they basically stole your clothes and you had to get sexually harassed on the way home in a New York taxi? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, there's a lot of moments like that in this film where you're just like, God, you guys are such assholes. Although, although I will say, but you know, they're supposed to be. You know, 17, 18, 19, 20, in which pretty much everyone was an asshole. And at (laughs) least, whether you (laughs) think you were or
1: not. There was a part where I was really happy because I thought they were going to acknowledge it. Where you find out one of the characters who is a potential father or to be already has like a wife and a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's actually really interesting. I'm glad they called her, called that out and acknowledged that. And then she just joined the group because. Why not be happy that there's a new kid coming? I know who it just might like,
0: be yours, and it was just like, but, but, what, but that what? whole scene seemed to have been skipped over because one minute he's like, "Fuck you, get away from me," I want nothing to do with you, and the next, literally, she's with them, and yeah. they're all going off happily together. You're like, what the fuck is going and, on?
1: And that, by the way, like as much as I liked the fact that that scene existed, everything after that was where I was sitting there going, no.
0: D- don't do that. You're, you're going to go to jail if you do that, I mean, or the, you're going to get killed if you do that. There were apparently a lot, like I said, no less than five whole deleted musical scenes that were filmed. I don't know if they ex- even exist anywhere anymore or not. They certainly weren't included in this Bare Bones DVD yeah. release, um, but it feels like maybe – if you really wanted to save this movie to update it for modern times, it's time for a reevaluation of some of those scenes and go back and say maybe well, some of these, despite you saying it slows things down, were necessary to make the story work. And quite frankly, with our current climate, this could be a movie that
1: would be interesting to update. I agree. Yeah. And, and uh, as it is right now, though, like, yeah, if you have a lot of fine, familiar feelings of love for this movie, why not? Otherwise, just go by the soundtrack, because it's going to be a far more enjoyable time.
0: Well, that was a re- re-release by Olive Films, as is our next one, Birdman of Alcatraz. This is one of these movies I've been meaning to get around to for a long time and never have, partially because John Frankenheimer is the director, who, of course, has done a lot of really fucking amazing yep. films over the years. I love um, his crime movies. Oh, yeah, dude. I, man, I can't believe there's anyone out there who doesn't like Ronin. Every Thank once in a while, I talk to people who are like, oh, that's not a very good movie. I was like, you're out of your goddamn fucking <laughs> mind.
1: I, I, I famously uh took my first date
0: with a girl ever
1: to see Ronan. Mm-hmm. Love the fuck out of it. Every person I told after that was like, you took her to see Ronan? Why did you take her to see Ronan? There's nothing but blood and
0: death. And I was like, it's it's a good movie. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, maybe she, but that's like, how do you know she's not into Thank that? You. I uh, know lots of the girls are into blood and death. <laughs> Don't be like that. Anyway, also starring Burt Lancaster, who I wasn't that interested in as an actor when I was younger, but since have got, kind of gotten into his works. We actually talked about his great performance, uh, recently in another, I believe it was Olive Films, maybe it What's was, it? you know. And, um, what was it? Uh, the Nuremberg Trials. Uh, the Trials yeah. of Nuremberg? Yeah. Trials of Nuremberg. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Um, I was trying to- and- <laughs>
1: I was trying to think of the other one he was in, because he was in that and another one. I don't
0: think he was in Inherit the Wind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, he plays the large and really only primary character in this film, based... Incredibly loosely on the real life Robert Stroud, who was a federal prison inmate who was who was given life in prison, and uh, even though he initially went in, I believe for four years, but because he kept killing people in prison, <laughs> he ended up with life in prison. He was known as the Birdman of Alcatraz because he ended up sort of adopting little birds that would fly into the window and uh, and raising them, nursing them back to health. Ended up getting super into birds. Uh to the point where his research and everything led to major some major discoveries in in uh I don't know what the word is not aviary, but avine, uh, uh and it, bird health solving yeah. some bird diseases and stuff that were out there that had never been cured. And he became a major known figure in those circles, despite the fact he spent his whole life in jail. And that all sounds sweet, right? That's interesting. Uh <laughs> and Lancaster after the first third of the movie where they really play him. No, this guy's a killer. He's something's wrong with him. They have, oh, once he gets the birds, he's redeemed and suddenly becomes the nicest guy in the world. Well, and, like, and the fight to like let him go on and do what he wanted to do and possibly free him from prison is like a very happy dappy version of the actual story, which apparently this guy never stopped being a sociopathic killer who, even though he did all this stuff with birds, was well, was completely hated by everyone in the prison for being such a douchebag. It was really weird watching this movie because uh, that
1: part of the movie, which, uh, true story aside, like <laughs> I, I did find it interesting looking into the idea of like, using animals as a rehabilitative measure for inmates, but the, I did not get into this movie because the opening scene is a character... Literally standing at a docks and turning around and going to the camera, hey, I wrote a book about this character. Let me tell you about it. And every time there's a scene change or a time shift, he he as the narrator comes in and explains what you're going to see for the next 20 minutes. And that every time that happened, it completely ripped me out of the movie because you didn't need it. You could have cut every single line of narration out of that movie and it would have made a better film. And that just kind of killed it for me, unfortunately. I don't know if it was my attitude at the time, but it drove me insane.
0: I'm kind of used to that from older films, though. That's not uncommon for this type of thing, especially when they were based on, like, real things. I think even In Cold Blood did that, and that's a uh, great movie. And
1: that's an absolutely fair point, because it was a different time, and this absolutely feels like a movie from a different time. It's just that as I watched the movie, I kept sitting there going, like you you know if you cut those three lines of narration the the next scene of dialogue says everything that that narration should say right just no reason verbatim? for whatsoever
0: yeah, yeah, we should recut this with, with Harrison Ford doing all the narration <laughs> for it. Just that tired, why am I here voice that he's so good at. Anyway, yeah, Burt Lancaster playing the lead. Carl Malden plays essentially his nemesis, a warden that he pisses off and ends up targeting the guy for the rest of his career yeah. to keep fucking over. Uh, and Telly Savalas in an interesting role as sort of like a repeated like, next-door neighbor cellmate for him uh, who, who's kind of fun. Man, Savalas had a much more interesting career than people give him credit yeah, it's for. It's interesting.
1: Telly Savalas is the he's the guy that I've become much more interested in as I've gotten older over Burt Lancaster. Have you seen Kelly's Heroes? I have not. Yeah, watch that because <laughs> like, well, I was gonna say Burt Lancaster. I never watched him when I was younger, so by the time I've gotten into watching his films, I already appreciate him as an actor. Whereas Telly Savalas, just showing the, him showing up is always
0: these kind of semi unhinged
1: characters. Yeah, always really interesting.
0: Yeah, who loves you, baby. Um <laughs> yeah he's more than just Kojak. There's an audio commentary here, recorded by a uh, the author of Burt Lancaster in American Life, that talks both about the stuff that he was doing and stuff about the real Robert Stroud and the novel that was uh, that inspired this movie, uh, and then a tr- the original trailer for this. I mean, I actually thought this was interesting. I never didn't enjoy watching it, but it's not a film I could see returning to. It's not very, not a lot really happens in this movie, it is and you so have to slow and too long. And you have to buy. I mean, like the, all the like we were talking about the Justice League, where you can see through to the mechanisms underneath this. this. This is one of those movies where you could see those mechanisms of the time underneath the way it's like, oh, now's the time in a movie when something like this has to happen uh, and makes it never feel like it was a real story, which once again – loosely at best based on the real story of the Birdman of Alcatraz. But I still thought this was an entertaining watch. And I think Lancaster is great in it. Uh, and another movie you didn't get to see, once again, I'll talk briefly about is The Twilight People. This is one of a sizable list of films out there that are adaptations of The Island of Dr. Moreau, even though even on a lot of official lists, they missed this one. I think it's partially because unlike most of the remakes, even ones that aren't called and Dr. Murrow. At least some of the characters have very similar or names that are shared from it. This is one that doesn't do that. Uh, it's 1972. It was directed by a Filipino filmmaker named Eddie Romero who actually is a de- highly respected filmmaker over there who made a lot of award-winning films and more serious films. But this was him in 1972 fucking around trying to make a drive-in movie that would make some cash. And sure enough, it actually did. It performed extremely well for them. Um, and when you watch it, despite how corny it is, it is a lot of fun. And it moves super <laughs> Fast and it's a weird little like differences with like the traditional story. Like, here, the protagonist, uh, played uh, by uh, an actor, John Ashley, is like kind of a <coughs> hero for hire type. I'm the guy who goes out looking for something good to do. <laughs> <laughs> And he's kidnapped by um, uh, some people who take him to the essentially Dr. Moreau's Island, played by Charles McCauley, who's making a super race combining humans and animals. And uh, he wants – because this guy's a badass, he wants him to be one of his upcoming experiments. Um, But his super hot daughter, played by Pat Waddell, is like, oh – he's so hot and I'm starting to doubt my father's worth and they kind of team up and they go on the run and and lots of people get killed and there's a shot of a bat guy who goes flying around attacking people that is worth the price of admission alone. Thank you. As I'm sitting
1: here looking at the name of the credits my first thought was Darmo the Batman needs Uh to be a character on the
0: tick today. At least it needs to be the name of a song by the band (laughs) The the Dickies (laughs) or somebody like that. It probably already is to be fair. Um, And this was one of Pam Greer's very first appearance she plays oh. um, uh, Ayessa the Panther Woman, which is just her with fake teeth and, like, loincloths type outfit with a overdubbed st- series of constant sounds of panthers shrieking. <laughs> like, like, she's just, like, she's just sitting there with that expression on her face and the soundtrack's like, <laughs> You
1: know, I gotta say, like, uh, it's proven true and true and true. If your movie is authentically fun and charismatic, you can have all kinds of flaws up and down your movie, and it's
0: okay because it's fun to watch. I don't disagree. I, and I'm certainly not going to call this an all-time classic or anything, but it is fun enough that this – if you're looking for one of these 70s drive-in type movies, this is one of the more fun ones I've seen that isn't one of the huge success ones. Right. Um and, yeah, I mean, it's a decent transfer. There's an interview with the director that's been an hour long that that has some uh, issues with its video, but it was, like, a, a, one of the few existing interviews with the guy who was much older even when he made this. <laughs> um, but apparently, I didn't sit and watch it, but apparently has some good stories, especially if you're into his career. Uh, there's a commentary uh, by David Duvall and David DeCateau who talk about, lots of trivia about the production and the people involved, and I, you know, I don't know. Like I said, if this sounds like your type of thing, it probably is. Man, just watching the Batman fly around is so I was gonna say,
1: Honestly, I'm going to track this down, because this sounds up my alley with the week I've had.
0: Uh, and then we have this next one, which I, I would argue is deeply, only exists because of the really surprising success of the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary they made, which was like five hours long. You know the one I'm talking about? I it, do. It's really good. The, the Nightmare on Elm Street was really it's, fun. It's the exhaustive history of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is of all the movies and the show and absolutely everything. And people really liked it because it was, in fact, super fucking good. So, these guys were like, well, we love Pet Cemetery that much, which, by the way, is one movie worth talking about, and a sequel that Although, is not.
1: I, I, um it, 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 Case in point, After watching this documentary, I don't think I will ever watch Pet Cemetery again. Yeah. Because the little boy in Pet Cemetery is right about just a little bit older than my son's age. Mm-hmm. And just them talking about the stuff happening to that kid that happens, you were like, don't do that. Mate. I started crying while oh, watching no. this documentary. And then right after that, I got to the part where one of the actors talked about the fact that he had no problems with it, but thinking about it now. And then he starts to cry a bit during the interview. <laughs> it was like, shit.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, if you've seen Pet Cemetery, I, I will never understand why people get as into this movie as they do. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's got some deeply entertaining parts to it. Like, sometimes I should just stay dead. You know? I mean, like, there's, like, great stuff. Fred Gwynn in this movie is terrific. It's a phenomenal idea. And the kid is is perfectly cast. He's like, I don't know how they got the stuff they did out of this kid, especially when you watch the documentary. You're like, wow, this kid was so young. It was, like, it was basically more, like, animal handling than it was, like, working with a proper actor. But he did great. He's super creepy. I mean, even the actual scenes where he's, like, undead... They did not use a doll because they couldn't make him hold still long enough to put the plaster mask on to to make his face. And they were like, well, there's no way to do this with a kid this young. So they just had to try and figure out how to do it in the studio. To the point I was making earlier about
1: having a kid. My set is indeed about this age. I cannot imagine trying to wrangle him into a production.
0: <laughs> this documentary goes is what you would call exhaustive. And these are from people who do deeply love this movie, which once again, I don't completely get. But I mean, of all the horror movies you were going to do an exhaustive production on Pet Cemetery is not one of the ones and I would imagine. I got to say
1: that was my biggest problem with this.
0: Mm, yeah. So the first
1: third of the movie is so good. Gushing and masturbatory about how amazing every single oh, by the individual way, on pet, pet Cemetery is.
0: It's called Unearthed and Untold: The oh, Past yes. to Pet Cemetery. I hadn't even the, said what the name was. Like, yet.
1: I kept they kept talking about someone, and there were three times where they halfway talked about someone and like left a little hanger yeah. and I quoted the next line of oh and they were the most amazing person before they said it because just nobody ever sinned on this film everyone was amazing no,
0: if you listen to them this is one of the greatest movies ever made yes. and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with because that's what the directors wanted to get across I mean they say from the beginning we passionately love this movie so they're not going into it with an open mind about the criticisms that yeah. were towards it of which all you have to do is go on the way- Wikipedia page and go, yeah, a lot of people really did not like this movie, including the press, who I think gave it like a 40% or something like that. And that's because, overall, it's really not that great of a horror movie. You may have fond memories of seeing it when you're really young and it's scaring the shit out of you, but overall, well, it's, a, it's a just okay horror film. And I will say that, like, once they get out
1: of the pre-production, like, that's the hard part for me, where they're introduced to everyone. And once they get into the actual shooting of the film, the release... That stuff started to get a lot more interesting. I mean, part of it's just that I'm into film. Yeah. Part of it's that they've already just jerked off over everyone, and so they're actually telling real and interesting stories about making the movie at that point. I will say, though, that uh, the whole time as they kept interviewing people, there were two guys who, every time they cut to them, it really weirded me out, because their response was so heavily scripted versus everyone. Mm-hmm. They would wax poetic and make really interesting metaphors where everyone else was just telling stories. Come to find out, you know, they're the actual filmmakers. Yeah. And so once I saw their names pop up, I was like, oh, that explains all of that. They scripted their interviews. But,
0: I mean, this is really exclusively for people who feel the same way that they do about this yeah. movie. Because they said, look, we realized that with the people who held the rights with home release, they were never going to put together a, a good documentary while everyone involved was still alive to this movie that we love so much. So we're just going to do it ourselves. Okay. That's fine. Even admirable. But... I, you know, and I think this is a decently enough made thing. It's not like dull or crappily made, but, you know, and I had a good time on the whole watching it, but the way you do a well-produced bonus feature, but it's a feature length fucking documentary about the making of goddamn Pet Cemetery. So I think it's really only for people who deeply love that movie. And I know that you're out there. Uh, You know what? You're right. If you are super fan of that movie, you will love the hell out of this. For anyone else... Yeah, you can
1: Uh, skip it. Watch the last third, maybe. (laughs)
0: Um, There's audio commentary with the director's uh, podcast commentary. Uh, There's some edited alternate scenes. There's another interview with the directors who talk about how they're basically how this whole got started in the first place. Um, There are uh, deleted scenes. There's a photo compilation of locations, uh, documentary post-art concepts, uh, rare onset video footage uh, from uh, basically across the street. Someone was shooting them with a video camera when they were filming it.
1: I just see it was really interesting watching this movie. They never... They clearly didn't have the rights to the actual film. Yeah, because there's Be- not hardly any... There's, I don't think any scenes that are earned in the trailer. The, the, there is not a single movie, a single scene of that film in the movie. It's all handheld footage of them videotaping them shooting those scenes, not the actual scenes, which I really would have... Appre- I think it would have been a better movie being able to see this is what that scene looked like and this is what that scene looked like especially when they're talking about like how they did the accident where the kid gets hit by the truck that seemed really interesting to see but it's just a couple of still shots that show everything
0: well let's talk about the highlight of uh, highlights of this week's show which is two old dario argento releases the italian giallo director who his Pretty much is, unarguably, his two best films being upgraded to 4K and with packed with extra releases by two different companies doing it. The first one being Deep Red or Profondo Russell, depending on whether or not you've got the Italian copy. <laughs> um Which was, uh, you know, despite him having done three films before this that were all well-received, this was the first movie where everyone in America turned their heads and go, wait a minute, who is this guy? Because it was groundbreaking. Well, it is... So gorgeous! Even
1: the first shot in the movie, that's like mid credits on black screen, is almost a piece of art. The way he stages everything and lights it is just
0: a gorgeous movie. Uh, David Hemmings plays this character, Marcus Daly, is a professional pianist who's living, who's an American but living in uh, in Italy or British, I think, uh, who uh, basically witnesses the the murder of a psychic in front of a lot of people, and um, he. Gets involved in a scene that's funny (laughs) because I've seen this film like five or six times, and it wasn't until the last time that I saw it that I ever saw first the the The, the, Easter egg that tells you who the killer is uh, that is clearly visible on screen, but you'll miss it because of incredibly crafty craftsmanship in the composing a shot. It's a plot point. Yeah, it's actually a plot. When it goes back and shows you, you're like, Oh fuck, how did I miss that?
1: It's <laughs> funny is that I watched it, but just because of the lighting of the shot, I still didn't know specifically who it was till the end. Right.
0: <laughs> so, um, da- this is also important because Dario Nicolodi, who ended up becoming, uh, his, uh, Dario Gento's wife, his business partner, the, the mother of his child, Asia, uh, and, was the muse the co-creator because now we really we'll talk about this more in a minute but now that everyone's really revisiting stuff and talking to people more it seems clear that his next film suspiria was as equally a creation by her as it was by him so this first film and then this is the movie they met on is kind of a big deal and you can tell as a director he's kind of obsessed with her watching this movie the things he has her do and it's it's interesting. There's cool. a relationship between the creator, the pianist, the artist, and her, who also is kind of his muse in the film, uh, that I think is interesting. But, uh, you know, as well, this is the first film that involves the supernatural for Dario Argento, even though it's teasing about it. But it definitely, there's a lot of the feel that, is this a straight-up murder film, or is it a supernatural well, movie? The until a thing point? Is,
1: this is the first time you start seeing Dario Argento's, or at least for me, the first time his dream logic come in, because this clearly does not really take place in our world. Uh, there are character decision, which character decisions which in the real world make absolutely yeah. zero sense. It's
0: definitely the beginning of the dream logic yeah.
1: uh, 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 Argento films. The, the one for me was when the killer breaks into his house and whispers through a door, I'm going to come kill you. <laughs> And he doesn't call the cops. Yeah, he just like, starts just,
0: screaming like a like a ten year old
1: girl and throwing furniture around. And, and it was re- so. I watched the version that has all the Italian scenes that were cut out, put back in, uh, and it was yeah. really yeah. funny watching that because clearly all the really terrible toxic masculinity got cut out. And I thought it was really, I thought the movie was actually kind of woke at first because the main character is a out and out misogynist. And gets called out for it and goes yeah. into a hissy fit, but then it all is ruined because the girl
0: wants to fuck him because of it anyways. Yeah. Well, that was pretty typical yeah. of the time to have those like, oh, how dare you talk to me that way? Fuck you. I'm a strong woman. Also, your dick is totally huge and I want to have sex with you. <laughs> like, it's it very typical of the time. So if you take that aside, like if you go into
1: this knowing that shit just kind of happens in this movie, yeah, it's so gorgeously shot. The score is amazing. It's, I think this, was this the first Goblin film? Like I think, think so. Him? Yes.
0: Uh, it's this it's the second best Argento score, no yeah. question. And the second best Goblin score.
1: And like I I love this movie. I absolutely It's it's
0: gorgeous. Um, And yes, you can get the UK edition that comes with two Blu-rays. The export version uh, uh, or the European cut. Uh, The export version, in other words, the version to America, cuts about 20 minutes of footage, which is a lot of, like you said, some of the deeper sexist stuff in there. But it also is a lot of stuff that's pretty good that got cut out. Like subplot stuff that has to deal with that. There's a point where the movie seems to, is chasing a red herring of like, ooh, what if it's ghosts? Uh, That It cuts out a lot of that. And that's a Really fun part It's kind of One of those where you see a house that feels like it's the place he went to that inspired him to do to create all the sets he did for Suspiria. Yeah, because it's that super crazy. What the oh, fuck
1: is I love this the house? house. The, the window design on yeah. the house are amazing.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, that this set. I mean, it's 4K. It looks amazing. It pops so hard. There's Profondo Giallo, which is a 30 minute essay by critic Michael McKenzie that takes a deep look at this film and how it changed Giallo, which it drastically did. Um, Rosso, Recollections is a 20 minute interview with Argento, who's, as t- is typical, cr- very critical of his own work. Um, like, if for some reason he does not look back and think of this as one of his best films, and for some reason, he thinks Creepers is one of his best films, which, as I still <laughs> well, say, is so not I, for I, phenomena. Which I, I'm, is I'm on record
1: of saying that Dario Argento is a really great filmmaker until 1987. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I, I was talking about this with a friend, and I looked it up. Everything he makes up until 1985, which was opera, I actually really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Everything, but maybe one movie he has made after that is
0: unwatchable. I mean, trash I, I to really make. like The Stendhal Syndrome, even though it needs like 30 minutes cut out of it, but there's so much good stuff in it that I, lo- I love it. Uh, and everyone always tells me Sleepless is worth watching, but I've never seen that one. Um, but I, generally speaking, you're absolutely yeah. right. Like the movie Giallo he made is not good. Uh The movie. Oh, God, is Dracula movie is a tr- fucking atrocious. Yeah, I should um, save
1: my wife the trailer for the for all his like last four movies just going. You've got to watch what I'm talking about. <laughs> Check out how bad these are.
0: Uh, there's a Lady in Red, a 25-minute interview with Daria Nicolotti about being in here and her work with him. Uh, there's Music to Murder for, a 15-minute interview with the leader of Goblin, Claudio Simonetti. Uh, and that's a pretty good package right there yeah. alone. It's I mean, two discs, both 4K transfers that are very different versions of this film with a lot of bonus features. And Deep Red really is a classic. Even if you don't think of yourself necessarily as a horror fan, like – this is such an incredibly well-made visual and auditory film that it kind of hit a new mark in cinema. Like, nobody had ever really made a movie like this before. You know, it's interesting. Like, I I almost, I don't want to say I don't view these as horror films,
1: like his, his Giallo films, but it's never really about the horror. The, they're almost art films. Yeah. Like, if you are in any way into film of the 70s and early 80s, you owe it to yourself to watch these movies. Or you and like
0: dream if, logic films yeah. that have a. Like if you find that you're like, oh, I like Legion, or I like Twin Peaks, you should probably yeah, watch these. Absolutely, watch they're, these. They're not as this one is not as abstract as as those things are, but you can feel that like this is an, a big influence on those things.
1: And the cool thing is. If you're into horror, the kills are fantastic. Oh, yeah. And if you're not into so, horror, yeah, so quite awful. frankly, there aren't usually a ton of them. Yeah. There's usually only a couple. It's just that they're so damn memorable that
0: yeah. they, they tend sh- to be stand, stand out. rather gory when it happens. Yes. But in a very sort of, you would not have seen that coming, super <laughs> creative way. So, fair warning, though, to anyone. It, it does
1: the same. It does the thing that almost all Dario Argento movies do, which it... You... Meet the bad guy, kill the bad guy, and roll the credits in the last three minutes of the film, almost always. And I'm trying, I think it was when we were watching Cat of Nine Tales, I turned on the commentary for a bit, minute, and someone was talking about how when Dario Argento made that movie, he showed it to his mentor, and he originally had, like, a 15-minute Danny Ma on it, and the mentor, in my horribly butchered Italian accent, was like, no, 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 don't do it that, don't do it. You've made an American <laughs> film. Cut it here. <laughs> and, like, ever since then, everything Dario Argento does, he's just like, nope, done. And this movie, like, literally the shot after the villain dies, it's, boom, credits.
0: Yeah. Just Once go, the villain is over. dead, that movie is over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unless, say, he wants to set up something, like, with, like... The supernatural or something. Like yeah. He says little things like, but the horror is not over. You know, which not to the degree to which we do in American films where it's like there's got to be ten minutes that just lead up to Jason's hand popping out of the water okay. or something. Yeah.
1: It's not some stupid jump scare. It's just like, nope, here's a hint. And even when he does that, it's like, Hint, credits, move on.
0: Yeah, it's very quick. But then you get immediately into the Goblin score, so that's good. Yeah. Speaking of Goblin scores and Dario Argento, our final movie this week is also my pick of the week, which is uh, generally thought of across the board as the masterpiece of Italian horror. Definitely thought of as Argento's best film. That is his completely dream logic movie, Suspiria, which is probably one of the most deeply influential horror movies ever made. I mean, it is, I mean, even if you were like, I don't know about that, I've never heard of it it's on the same level as like the shining in terms of influencing horror and the history of horror. And I mean, like across the board, you may not have seen it. That doesn't mean that your, your people who are making those horror movies you're watching haven't seen it because believe me, they all have and more than once. And this is the ultimate edition of it in a 4k transfer that pops so well that even on my regular 2k screen, it almost hurt to look at it. It was so pretty. Uh, so I had to pause the movie. So first of all, I just want to say outright to this
1: day, I don't know that I've seen a movie with production and production design and lighting as colorful and visually interesting as this film did. Agreed. Um, there was a part when you first arrive at the main location, I had to pause it because I'm pretty sure they have blue crushed velvet
0: walls. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I stopped that, and was like, Oh my god, this is amazing! Everything about the sets on this are like, you'll keep wanting to just stop and look at it, especially like I said, with this upgraded transfer, which was done as near as I can tell oh. flawlessly. And this is such a color and set driven movie that you'll just be like, Just want to stop and stare at it, you'll want to get a print off your, your screen to frame it. It's so gorgeous. Well, you mentioned Dream Logic and. That cannot be emphasized
1: enough. Like, this this is so clearly what Nicholas Winding Rethan pulls from. Like, he's seen this movie. A lot. (laughs) It's not... and, And... this is why uh, – going into this, I was a little hesitant. I saw this a long time ago when I original when Blue Underground released a whole bunch of Argento movies on DVD when they remastered them, like, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so I watched a lot of his films. That's when I saw Opera and Deep Red and all of his Giallo movies. I did not like this when I saw it back then. So I was going into this, was very hesitant. And watching Deep Red and getting into that dream logic idea – I had a very different experience with this film. Like, I still, I can't decide if Deep Red or this would be my pick of the week. Mm. I, they're both right there together. But go into this movie, like, it's really just about the experience of letting it wash over you. I've rarely seen a movie that was more catered towards, like, getting high or doing some kind oh, of substance and, and just letting it happen. And
0: that being said, like, those type of movies are the movies you can't do something else while you're watching. No, You, you can't. can't sit and kind of watch it quietly in the background. You can't check your phone to see what emails you got you have to sit in a darkened room in front of a big screen as you you've got or get close if you need to turn the volume and turn up. the volume way fucking up like do it during watch it like close out all the shades and do it during the day when your family's out yep. uh, and do it where you can rock that sucker because this is a movie and a transfer of both the audio track and the the video that is made to be watched as if you are having a dream you can't escape from yep. and th- then you will truly see why people love this movie as much as they do.
1: And and just know that the plot doesn't really matter. It's it's not about the story. It's a so simple. Much. It's
0: a simple yeah. story. It's Jessica Harper, who I actually first knew, I knew well before I saw this. I saw her in Shock Treatment, the sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show, where she took over the role of Janet from uh, from Susan Sarandon. Damn it, Janet! But uh, she plays an American ballet student who has gone gotten accepted to a prestigious dance academy in Berlin. Uh, and you know, she as she arrives, during a horrific thunderstorm uh, in a cab that seems to pass every neon. On light in the city very closely uh, she's dropped off in front of this elaborate school only to watch a uh, woman running out of the school yelling something she can't quite make out in the door uh, and we discover that she uh, in fact is killed not too long after that at all and um, In fact, one of the first things we see is the double murder of her and another girl, which is one of the most incredible kill scenes in any movie in history. Like It's like, holy shit, did you see that? I mean, even by today's standards, it's like...
1: And what the fuck? It's probably the prettiest set in a horror movie I've ever seen. Yeah.
0: Um, But we realize that whatever's happening... Is not human right off the bat because like we see like an arm reaching through the window with like giant claws and like furry, like super more than human furry arm. You're like, okay. So it's supernatural, whatever's going on here. And there's a lot of stuff done with the camera to very established, like, there's like a a very famous flying shot of the camera coming down towards the sky in the middle of a yeah. big open area that you're like, okay, so see, we're seeing from the viewpoint of something evil coming at him. And not uh, that I'm sure was a big influence on um uh Sam Raimi when he made The Evil Dead after this. Oh, undoubtedly. But she... Is starting to realize as girls are disappearing and weird fucking shit is happening that something is up with his academy, and she sort of start pieces together that there's this myth about the three witches, uh, which actually comes from a real book uh, essay, *Suspiria Deep profundus or *Sighs from the Depths* by Tom St. Quincy, which talks about these three witches in a way as if he was saying it was real, and according Dario Argento, it is. Um, that each live in a different city and command great power. In fact, he actually filmed this like they didn't actually film this in Berlin they filmed it somewhere in Italy I'm forgetting where but he was like I picked this city because it is one of the cities that actually is a witch city that's filled with witches you're like "Uh uh-huh Dario (laughs) um But it's fun to kind of think about that when you're watching this, because as it goes along and it gets weirder and creepier and more insane, it actually becomes pretty scary. And part of that is that driving. You've never heard anything like it before or since soundtrack by Goblin. Um, And part of it is just those mesmerizing colors. Well, and this is one of those things where,
1: like, if you take a step back and remove – if you take a step back from the experience of watching it, like – from a purely horror film, there aren't a ton of kills in this movie. There's only a couple. Yeah. But, but each one is ad- remarkable. <laughs> Every kill is – you will never forget. Honestly, Dario Argento is one of the only filmmakers without drifting into the torture porn genre that can make me go, ew.
0: And there were two or three times in this movie that I had like, oh, God, no. It was It's it's agonizing and ecstasy inducing yep. the way he films kills because they're just – there's no other way to look at it, but they're beautiful. But in such an utterly horrific way, you know? Um, he's one of the few guys who, in horror, who has ever gotten that mixed down perfectly. Anyway, so this feature, once again, Wallace, just, it should be enough for you that it, the 4K edition is one of the most beautiful transfers I have ever seen. Um, it is essentially a port of a, uh, a version of this that came out about a year ago It's missing a few extras. There's not as much physical stuff involved uh, that's coming because you can get a much bigger version of this that's filled with like, like lobby cards and shit like that. But what you do get is uh, two commentaries, one with Derek Bothello and David DeVal and one with Troy Howarth, um, uh, both of which are – you know, the alternate versions of the, the same stuff. You know, slightly different takes on it. Uh, the, the second disc has trailers. Uh, the, that title card they used to sell in American cinemas that had the letters as if they were veiny and breathing, which is a pretty cool effect. It was on a few of the American posters. And then, aside from the depths, 40 Years of Suspiria, which is 27-minute uh, introduction to Dario uh, Argento's career. Um, a new Do You Know Anything About Witches, 30-minute uh, visual essay on the film's history, influence, and themes. I would argue that that and Aside from the Depths are kind of interchangeable. One has got a little more detail than the other. Susie in Nazi Germany, which takes a look at all the locales. Uh, Olga's story, uh, with one of the minor actresses in this sharing her memories of the film's production, kind of said Jessica Harper, as far as I know, is still alive. Kind of shocked they weren't able to get her to come and talk about any of this, but maybe she's one of those people who is like, I don't get why people like this movie.
1: Well, she worked with Dario Argento, and he is famously not necessarily the most pleasant person to work with
0: apparently it depends on the film like like because like he's some people come out of it going what an asshole and other people keep working with him i
1: I will say one thing and and this is not the movie itself but i ran into a technical issue and i can't guarantee it wasn't my system but i tore things apart trying to figure it out these subtitles Mm -hmm. when i turned them on because i I don't always hear the best. Uh, uh, I always turn on subtitles if I can. Clearly did not play it as loud as you advised. Oh, thing. it, it I actually <laughs> did. I just always do it anyways. I do, I do too. Um, but the subtitles appeared half on the screen, half off. I went through my Xbox menu. I went through my TV menu. I went through every menu I really? could. I reset all of my visual settings. I tested it with other videos. So, like i'm eighty five percent sure it wasn't my setup.
0: one would presume zoom by this point. um they have fixed the error yeah. if it is an error out there and have like reissued the disk. Cool. so the only ones you can get are those ones. Well, that would be good. I, I just had to yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, that's it for this week's Digital Noise. Thank ooh, Aaron, ooh. as always, for, man, going through these movies like a motherfucker. It was fast. <laughs> well, I, I had enough shit going on in my life that,
1: like, right around the time that all the stuff started happening to me last week, uh, I was hitting the Dario Argento stuff. So it was like, I'm pissed and I'm angry, and I'm going to go watch people get horribly murdered. And Hell yeah! awesome. You guys <laughs> die. That's my
0: father-in-law, and that's my that's my <laughs> neighbor's dog. And it's, no. Don't do that. No, no, no. That's Actually, it's probably fine. Just don't actually okay. kill your father-in-law and your neighbor's daughter. I, I absolutely didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you are going to, make sure you do it with s- giant splashes of color projected on them. Light it well. Like, with, like, okay. red lights and yeah. blue in, in the background and like, green in the house. Impale them with a giant blade that comes from a trap and swings down from the ceiling and just cuts their heads in half or something cool like or better, that.
1: like, push them through a window and then, like, cut their head off with the glass of the window. There
0: you go. Let's see. Now we're talking. There you go. The opinions and theories of Aaron do not necessarily reflect those of of oneofus.net, Chris Cox, or let's face it, anyone but Dario Argento.